Well, today was going to be the start of our latest sermon series, which I've entitled Living on a Prayer. We're going to be spending a little bit of time together over the course of the next few weeks, looking at the Lord's Prayer and what it says and what it means and how we apply it today for our generation. But actually, at the beginning of the week, as I was thinking and praying about where we were going to go today, and as I was talking to the team here about what we were going to talk about, I really felt the Lord put something else on my heart for this morning's service. And I really felt that God wanted us as a church to spend some time thinking and praying and discerning what service looks like within the church. And with that in mind, we're going to flip to Ephesians chapter 4 as we've heard read together this morning. But before we do that, I want to remind us of a story which is found in the Gospels. It's a famous story. You know the story. It's found in Matthew chapter 14 where Jesus goes and he decides that he wants to go and have some time in a lonely place where he can go and seek his father and spend time in prayer and worship to his gods. But the crowds, they gather where he is going to be. This is the days before social media. There's no Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, but yet a kind of media storm begins to stir up and they hear Jesus is going to this lonely place, so they follow him. And before Jesus arrives, the crowd arrive there. And when Jesus gets there, what he sees is a group of people who he looks at who look lost, like sheep without a shepherd. And instead of thinking to yourself, flipping heck, I've come here for some downtime, I've come here to pray, I've come here to just get away from all of this. He looks at the crowds and he has compassion on the crowds. And he starts to teach the crowds. And the crowd, when they hear his voice, they become captivated with everything that Jesus is saying. So much so that they don't look at the clock and it begins to get late. And the disciples, they start to get a little bit twitchy and they say to Jesus, Jesus, have you seen the time? Do you know what is going to happen if you carry on? People are going to get hungry. People aren't going to be able to get food. Jesus, we've got to do something about this situation. And Jesus turns around to his disciples that day and he says, you feed them then. What? Are you crazy? Jesus, there's 5,000 men here. Not counting the women and children, there are 5,000 men here. That's over a year's worth of wages for anyone to sort out for just one meal. How on earth are we going to do that? I wonder if that day the disciples had the wrong idea and the wrong impression of service. You see, Jesus gets the crowd to sit down. And when he gets the crowd to sit down, he multiplies what he has available to him. And what happens? The disciples then end up serving the people. You see, what the disciples really wanted that day was a real cafeteria-style approach to service. Jesus, these people are hungry. You sort them out. What happens is they become a distribution center. Jesus multiplies what he has, and the disciples then go and serve the people. We get the things mixed up in church life quite a lot too, if we're being totally honest, don't we? Sometimes we have a cafeteria approach to when it comes to church. Sometimes, if we're being honest, we sit in our chairs and our approach is, come on in, pastor, feed me and make it a good meal today. I am hungry and I want to be fed. Come on, worship band, play my favorite song, but don't repeat it too much and don't go on too long. Don't be too loud and don't be too quiet. Feed me, feed me, feed me. Do you get me? I've lost count of the amount of people that have come to me over time and they said to me, I used to go to such and such a church. 
but I wasn't getting fed there. So now I've come to you. Church is not a cafe. It's a distribution center. We are called to take what Jesus gives to us, and when we take what Jesus gives to us, we then serve it. We are called to be a people who take what Jesus gives to us to people who desperately need it. When church simply becomes a cafe, it becomes full of spiritually fat Christians who have a lot of head knowledge, and they like things done a certain way. And when things don't get done a certain way, they get cross, and they get annoyed, and they simply end up looking to please themselves. But when we take on the model of church being in the business of being a distribution centre, distributing the good news to everyone who needs it, suddenly our preferences and needs are not quite so important. I mean, if we are as mature Christians as we like to think we are, surely we're good at feeding ourselves, right? We're good at opening our Bibles on our own and seeing the depths of Scripture and everything God wants to speak to us personally. Suddenly... When we're a distribution center, we become in the business of building others up because we want to see the gospel advance. And our number one priority becomes how we play our part. So let me ask you today, church, how are you playing your part right now? Talking about service in church and serving, it's one of those funny topics, isn't it? I mean, it's up there with finances and giving and when those sermons come around. Because you know that Probably at least once a year, there's going to be a sermon on giving, on, on being generous and on serving. And you think to yourself, oh, I hope I'm away when the pastor starts preaching on that. Because here he goes again trying to in this place. Because ultimately, when we serve out of a place of feeling guilty, what happens is our service becomes meaningless. The Bible exhorts us to serve one another in love. And if the only reason, let's say, you're involved in the kids' work in this place, for example, is that you have been told, well, they need ratios, and they haven't got enough, they're always short, so I've had my arm twisted, and I'm going down to the kids' work again. Let me tell you something. As a father, I don't want you looking after my kids. I want you to be involved in the kids' work in this place, because you're saying, hey, I've got a heart for kids to come to know Jesus. I want them to know how loved and how special and how valued they are. I want to make a difference in their life. And what is true of the kids' work is true of every area of service that is in this place. So if you are here today and you end up feeling compelled like you've got to serve, here is your get-out clause today. Don't serve. You're not doing yourself any favours. You're not doing the church any favours. And you're not doing those who you are ministering to any favours. Having said that, if you are here in this place today and you are currently not serving in some capacity in the life of the church, I believe that you are currently not fulfilling your God-given potential because you were saved to serve. We're focusing on Ephesians chapter 4 today, but one of my favourite passages of scripture is Ephesians chapter 2. And it starts off by saying, you were dead in your transgressions. You were far off from God. You once followed the ruler of this earth. But because God loved you so much, he has made you alive, even when you were dead in your transgressions. And then it goes on to say in Ephesians 2, verse 10, that we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. You were saved to serve. God has good things for you, for your life, 
You were created on purpose and with a purpose in mind. And I want to pick up this week a passage from Ephesians 4. It's a passage that we looked at together a few months ago when we studied the book of Ephesians together. And I have to say, I was really excited about preaching this passage a few months ago. And then I accidentally give it to someone else to preach. So this is my chance to open up Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. But what we will see, and what you might remember from the time we looked at the book of Ephesians together, is that the book in some ways is effectively split into two parts. So chapters 1 to 3, what Paul does is he asks the people to remember. He tells the people that they've been blessed with every spiritual blessing that they once were far off, but now have been made alive. They once were aliens for God, but now they have been brought near and brought into his family. He tells them in Ephesians chapter 3 that he's been praying for them, that they will be rooted and grounded in love. But what he does in this chapter, in Ephesians chapter 4, and where we're going to be focusing on today, is he calls the people for a response. You see, the Christian life was never meant to be a life of aimless wandering around. It's not meant to be a life where you get spiritually fat. If all you have is a whole load of head knowledge then ultimately you've missed the point and purpose of it altogether. Jesus is not going to say to you when you get to heaven, how much of the Bible did you memorize? Though memorizing the Bible is important, as long as you apply it to your life. It's not about knowledge. It's about taking everything that Jesus has given us and seeking after God and seeking after what he calls us to do. If all our life ends up being is about accumulating knowledge, then sooner or later you will reach a point in your Christian journey where you'll say, well, what's the point? Just give up. No point at all. Or, sooner or later, you'll reach a point where you won't necessarily give up. You'll carry on going through the motions. You'll carry on going to church and going to life group and doing all the things that you once did. But you will find yourself stuck in a rut. I wonder how many people in our churches across this country are stuck in a rut right now. I wonder how many people in this church and congregation, if you're being totally honest, are stuck in a rut. You're going through the motions, but that's all it really is. You've lost sight of your first love. I don't care how old you are today. I want to tell you there is more of God than you are yet to experience in your life up until this point. God wants to do things to you, through you, and for you, which are beyond your imagination. And the place it starts is being willing to serve. And the challenge that Paul puts down here in Ephesians chapter 4 is to apply everything that he's already said in this book. And if you can't remember it or haven't studied it, I want to encourage you to go away from this place and open up the book of Ephesians again for yourself. But the challenge is to take these truths and live them out in a life of service. You know, so often... Christianity is presented in a way that nothing is required of us. We put so much emphasis on our human weakness and our ability to do nothing profitable and the necessity of God to accomplish absolutely everything that we leave no room for human responsibility. But I don't believe that the New Testament ever lays it out like that or gives that impression. In many respects, what we see from the New Testament is that human responsibility is wedded with God's action. It's God who saves. You were saved by grace and grace alone. There is nothing that you could have done to earn your salvation. You were once dead. A dead man cannot raise himself. But God has made us alive. And out of the overflow of everything that God has done 
for us, we are then called to do something. Think about it like this. Supposing there was someone who was desperately poor, and they put the last pound they have on the lottery, and they win absolutely millions of pounds overnight. Now, I don't do the lottery. I don't endorse the lottery. I don't endorse gambling. But speculate with me for a second. One day, this person had absolutely nothing in the bank. They were watching the pennies. They couldn't put food on the table. They couldn't pay the bills. But overnight, suddenly everything changes for them. Suddenly, they've got money in the bank which is going to last them a lifetime. They're buying the finest food, the finest clothes, the finest jewellery. They live a life of luxury. They have no more problems when it comes to money whatsoever. You know, it's that extremity of lifestyle change that we are called to. One day we were dead and far off from God, but then we meet Jesus who gives us life, who gives us hope, who gives us forgiveness, and that day for us everything changes. We are now a child of the King. We have been made part of his family, and our lives are called to reflect that from that moment onwards. And how do our lives reflect Jesus? By serving. The Bible tells us that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. So let me ask you today, before we delve a bit more into this passage, how are you serving right now? What does this passage then teach us about serving today? Number one, I want to suggest that this passage that we've read together today teaches us that serving brings unity. We read these words in verses 1 to 3. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. The first thing that I want us to notice today is if you're here in this place and you are a Christian, you have been called. You have been called. You may not realize it, you may not think much about, about yourself. You may not think you have anything to offer. You may have such a low opinion of yourself. You think, what on earth could I ever do which is going to add any value to what God wants me to do? But the scripture tells us quite clearly today, you have been called. And I don't care if you're eight years old or 88 years old, you have been called and God has a plan and a purpose for your life, whatever your age is and whatever stage of life you are at. And it's in the very act of service, I believe, that we draw closer to God and we draw closer to one another. You have been called to continue bearing with one another in love, and in doing so, we become united. What's the common factor of any great sports team who are at the top of their game? They're united behind one cause. They play for the team and not for themselves. And as a result, there's such a togetherness in what they're doing that winning just becomes part of their nature. Maybe you're here at Hope right now, and if you're honest, at times you feel like a little bit of an outsider. I mean, when you started coming to Hope, you received a really warm welcome. A lot of people say to me, well, I can't believe how warm the welcome here is here at this church. But over time, maybe you've just allowed a few thoughts to begin to creep in. And you've begun to wonder to yourself, would you noticed if I wasn't here? Would anyone really notice or care if I wasn't part of this church? You know, I believe the best way to combat those thoughts and feelings is to get involved, to get stuck in, to be part of a team, 
and to do your bit. Because when we do, what happens is we become united behind the common cause, the common goal. You have a part to play and a role to take up. How are you serving right now? Secondly, service builds up the church. We read these words in verse 11. And he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for works of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. I went to watch Plymouth Argyle play Saturday before last. Tell you what, I wish I hadn't. Oh, it was awful. If there was a way that I could have asked for my money back after the game, I would have. It was the most dire nil-nil draw that I've ever seen in my life. But it got me thinking of that old football cliche. Football is 22 people running about in desperate need of a break, watched by 15,000 people probably in Plymouth's case, in desperate need of exercise. And sometimes that can be a pretty accurate picture of the church, can't it? And I believe that what Paul wants us to see from this particular passage is that Christianity was never meant to be a spectator sport. And you know, one of the most crippling ideas that has come into the church over the course of decades and probably even centuries is that there's this kind of special class of Christian, often referred to as the clergy who do the ministry, whilst the rest just sit back in their seats or pews and get ministered to. Someone once put it like this. What does the churchgoer really want? He wants a building which looks like a church, clergy dressed in the way that he approves. Services of the kind that he has been used to, and then to be left alone. Many pastors, maybe out of a lack of trust of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the members of the churches that they minister in, or perhaps because of a wrongful need to control everything, have perpetuated that kind of mentality by doing almost everything within the local church, whilst many people just merely attend and do nothing else. And what Paul wants us to see today is some sound biblical understanding of ministry in the local church. What this passage teaches us is that the Lord gives leadership gifts to some. We're told that God appointed certain people for certain roles within the church. Why? In order that the whole body is equipped to do the ministry. And as a result, the body is therefore built up with works of service. And I don't know for you, but the term building that Paul uses in verse 12 immediately makes me think of a construction site. And his point is that when everyone does the work of ministry, the body is built up. I believe that Paul is talking about physical growth, that when we do the works, the body grows because people are being added to our number through the works of evangelism. But I also believe he's talking about spiritual growth too and getting to know God in deeper ways. Another one of my favourite passages of scripture is Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, and we read these words. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them, the proceeds to all as to any who had needs. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their foods with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number 
day by day, those who are being saved. Do you see what happens here? They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching who equip the people for works of service, and then they basically get on with being the church. They devote themselves to meet together to pray regularly. By the way, we're praying here tonight together as a church, but as a group of churches, we're going to be linking up with churches right across Devon. I'd love it if this room was as full as this morning, because if prayer is something which we are to be built on, this is a great opportunity to lift up the name of Jesus in prayer tonight and call out, to break away maybe from our regular patterns and get involved. But coming back to this passage, what happens is that they devote themselves, therefore, to prayer, and then they do ministry. They met together regularly, and they had all things in common, and then what happens? The body is built up. You know, I've had the privilege over the course of my Christian journey to be part of several different churches of various different sizes, from as small as 20 to as large as over a 1,000. And the same complaint is made in every single one. We haven't got enough help. We haven't got enough people to do the things we do. And the same stat is trotted out in every single one. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And then we wonder why churches fall into difficult times. Then we wonder why churches split. Then we wonder why people get hurt. I wonder how differently it would look if we all took up the challenge to walk worthy of our calls. Because when we do, suddenly we're united behind a common purpose and we begin to bear with one another in love, and then we win because the body is built up. How are you serving right now? Let's not settle church for being a mediocre church. Let's be a church which is committed to finding our place within the body because when we do, I believe God moves in our midst. Serving brings unity. Serving builds up the church. And finally, serving brings maturity. Verse 13 says, until we all attain unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and by deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Our default mode is to be very me-centric. I need things my way. I need to be fed. I want things the way I like things. Let's be honest, that's all of us, and I include myself in that. We all want things the way we like it. We all look after ourselves, number one. That's what happened when sin entered the world. And the very act of service, what it does is it takes our eyes off of us. And puts our eyes on the bigger picture. And as a result, we no longer end up being tossed to and thrown by every wind of doctrine, like the Bible says here. But we become steadfast and we become able to stand. Think about it for a second. When Jesus was probably at the lowest point in his life, what did he do? He served. The night Jesus was betrayed, when he was carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders, he got on his knees, he took on the form of a servant, and he washed the disciples' feet. Serving takes our eyes off of our issues and places them on a God who holds everything in his hands. And as a result, we grow up. 
we become mature in our faith and we're able to stand. In 1910, William Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army, was coming towards the end of his life. He was too ill to attend the annual convention that year, so someone suggested to Booth that he should write a telegram to the convention in order to encourage those who were attending the convention. So he did, but funds were limited, and telegrams in that time were charged by the word. So he thought to himself, I've got to be succinct in what I say. When the thousands gathered at that convention that year, there was an air of pessimism in the room when they were told that Booth wasn't going to be there. But then the moderator announced that he had a telegram from Booth to read out. And suddenly the mood lifted. He opened it up and he read it out. And it was simply one word. Others. Our service brings maturity because when we begin to serve, we begin to see the bigger picture. It's not all about me. It never has been all about me. It never will be all about me, but it's all about him. So let me ask you today, how are you serving right now? And let me say it again this morning. I don't want to make anyone feel guilty. I don't want to guilt trip anyone into serving because if your heart is not in it, don't serve will do more harm than good. But let me tell you again, and let me encourage you this morning, church, you were created, you were created for good works. You have a part to play, you have a role to fulfill in the building up of the body and in making a difference. Will you step up to the challenge? Church is often viewed as a cruise ship, isn't it? Where people come and they want to be entertained and there are a few people who are rushing about doing all the work and making sure everyone is comfortable and having a nice time. But the reality is the church is not a cruise ship, it's a battleship where everyone has a role, everyone has a part to play. And when we all play our part, we win. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And I'm going to invite you to stand this morning. the band begins a gentle play, I want to invite you to open yourselves up and ask God, how are you calling me to serve in this place right now? You know, it's easy to make excuses not to serve and not to get involved, isn't it? I'm too busy. I'm too old. I'm too young. I've done my part. I've done my bit. I've got too much going on in my life right now. Wherever you are, whatever age and stage of life you are at, there is a role for you. You know, being a prayer warrior for this church is just as important as doing the kids' work. And doing the jobs which no one sees are just as vital as leading the band or preaching the words. Everyone has a role. Everyone has a part to play. Father God, right now, as we begin to sing out and as we begin to worship, 
Will you open up our hearts? Will you be speaking to each and every one of us about what that role might look like here in this place? For some, oh God, you may be speaking about a change of role, a different direction. Lord, will you confirm that to people in this place? Will you put a burden on the hearts of your people to really get involved and to really serve? Because we want to see this body built up. The word of God demands a response. And I want to give you the opportunity to respond today. At the front, there'll be some sheets. But certain areas of the church at the moment which are in need of some help and are in need of people to get involved in. We need people to step up to help out of our kids' work in this place. You know, we have 50 naught to 11s on an average Sunday in this place right now. We have a responsibility to be serving into their life and to speaking into their life. We want to see the next generation of children rise up and be what they can be in Jesus' name from this place. We have a number of youth. We have a number of roles which you can help with here on a Sunday morning. We have a host team and a stewarding team who are desperate in need for extra help and extra volunteers to get involved so we can continue being the welcoming church we are. We need technical support. We need visual support. We want to reach as many people as possible right across this city. Will you play your part? Will you step up? I'm going to leave these sheets at the front, and there'll be people at the front after the service who can talk to you as well. And I want to encourage you, as we worship, if you feel that God is saying, yeah, I want you to get involved, just come up and write your name on, on, on one of these sheets. They'll be at the front. And like I said, there'll be a group of people at the front who can talk to you afterwards about those roles. And as we sing... I also would like to pray for some people in this place today. I believe there are some people who have maybe got their fingers burnt in church in this place. They have been serving maybe faithfully for years. Maybe in this church, maybe in other churches and you've you found your way here, but you've been hurt and you have had your fingers burnt and the very notion of serving again almost brings a little bit of fear to your heart. Lord, I don't want to open myself up again. I don't want to put myself through that again. I believe that God is saying to you this morning, I am your sustainer. I am your provider. I have good plans and purposes for your life. It might have gone wrong in the past, but don't allow what has happened in the past to restrict what God wants to do in your life in the future. If you are here and you are carrying the weight of past hurts from getting involved and serving, there's going to be a prayer team at the front and they're going to simply come and pray for you and with you. But God will release you from some of those pains and those fears. So I'm going to ask the prayer team to go into this corner over here today. And if you want prayer, come and see one of those. I'll lay these sheets at the front and make it your response today to say, yes, Lord, whatever that might be, I'm going to get involved. So as we sing, feel free to come 
and to write your name on a sheet. In doing so, you're not signing your life away either. Let me just say that. You're simply saying, God, I'm open. If you want me to serve, I'll think about it and I'll consider it and I'll pray about it. Let's worship God in song as we respond this morning.